This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Ashram Lux Lucis. Another episode of On the Record. Today we have a very lovely and talented guest, Starla Fortunato, in the house. She is an amazing photographer. She does photography for high end celebrity portraiture, production, marketing, and public relations. She's appeared in Glamour, Teen Vogue, The Guardian, San Antonio, American Way, New York Times, LA Times and has been a contributor to Venice TV Guide and Angelino magazines. She currently has a studio in the Los Angeles area, and she's a bi- truly bi-coastal person, hailing from New York and California, and born in Houston, Texas. Uh, she served in the Army after graduating from high school, and her camera and her paintbrush were her constant companions throughout her travels in the world. And I would like to dive into Miss Starla Fortunato and find out how one becomes a, a, a um, photographer to the stars. So, without further ado, please welcome Starla Fortunato. Oh, yeah, Astrid, thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's it's very much a privilege and a pleasure. Um, the the world of photography has something that's always been fascinating for me because while I like to take pictures. I pretty much suck if it wasn't like for autofocus and, you know, point and shoot cameras, you know, it's always been a world though that I've wanted to get into, but then I think about it and I'm like, yeah, I don't even know where to begin. So tell us a little bit, you know, how did you get involved with photography? Well, I've been, I've been involved with photography since I was nine years old. I, I started with a 110 pocket camera, taking photos of my friends. Um, but even before I was taking pictures, I was a coloring. I was obsessed with coloring books and crayons. You know, from my earliest age, my earliest age I can remember, at three years old, four years old, I was obsessed with making beautiful pictures with crayons and coloring books and drawing. So I've always been drawn to making beautiful pictures. That's making pretty pictures has always made me happy. So. Um, when the 110 camera came out, little pocket camera, little instant film camera, very very similar to the iPhone now, actually. I hmm. just started taking pictures and saving my babysitting money to develop film. Wow! And so you develop you were developing your own pictures, like in, oh, you had no. like a dark room. Oh no, you were taking them to like Walgreens or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, that came later. Yeah, I just took it okay. from instant uh, film developing places. You know, I was taking photos of my posters and stuffed animals and dressing my poor little brother up until my father put an end to that, you know. I was, <laughs> it was just, you know, being an artist has got its challenges, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> models and who's going to pose. But it was funny. It was, I've been taking pictures really all my life. I've always documented my life by photos and journaling. Wow, that's amazing. I want to go back to the coloring books for a little bit because you were probably one of the the kids in like 
kindergarten, you know, early elementary school that I was jealous of who would always color like so beautifully, like the coloring pictures. So I'm sure you like stayed in all the lines and and just like probably really brought out the the picture that you were coloring, you know, in a unique way that I think only people who have that eye for art can do. Well, I you know, think I, I, yeah, you're hard on yourself. I think that you're, <laughs> and you realize that you are, and I think that that's what that's the big setup for. Everyone, I think everyone's an artist. Everyone has talent. Everyone can make something uh, beautiful. But we start out thinking, oh, we have to paint a Rembrandt, or we have to take, we have to be Annie Leibovitz behind the camera, and or we have to color in the lines. And we all have our own way of seeing and doing, and that has to be okay. And once we accept that, then we can grow because any art that you do, you need to develop and learn your palette of colors or your palette of skill. And for photography, it's very technical. People don't realize how technical photography is. Um, There's a lot of great automatic features that happen in the iPhones and these instant cameras, but the difference between a professional photographer and an amateur is the professional photographer will get that photo every time for their client on demand, and an amateur has fun and takes some really beautiful photos every once in a while and really does something stunning. So I think that instead of being hard on yourself, Astrum, just do it, get in there, and just accept what is. And the more you do it, the better you're going to become. It's um, getting your 10,000 hours of mastery. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess I gave up on like my first couple stick figures and <laughs> was looking at the, the, you know, comparing yourself to others, you know, and yeah, okay. which, and which always figures, sets you up for failure, you know. It does. Yeah. Comparing our inside, our inside to their outsides. And I personally can't draw very well. I don't draw well at all, but I can, I can color in the lines, but I also used to like adding antennas. You know, and the, you know, my aunt, my great one of my wonderful aunts said, "Oh, let's let's make this face purple, and let's let's put antennas on that Barbie, you know, on that in that photo or that uh, coloring book, you know." And I thought that was really that was really fun. So, the more you do it, the better you become, and and the more you meet like-minded people who can along the way who say, "Hey, you know, that's a nice way of doing it. Coloring the lines is really good." But have you tried antennas? They're pretty exciting. Hmm. Now, that seems like a, a mindset. Like I'm getting into it as I'm, I interview people on the show. You know, I'm, I'm discovering that the difference between success, those who are successful and those who are not, is there's a mindset there. And like even you, you're kind of pointing it out to me here. Like I'm sort of stuck inside this mindset of I'm comparing myself to others where that really never applied to you. Now, Growing up, was your family very supportive of you in doing these artistic endeavors? That's a really good question. Um, my fam, my my parents sent me to a private painting class. Um, I definitely was supported by my grandparents for my pictures. I enjoyed my little photography uh, gigs that I used to do for myself and my friends, but. When it came time to go out in the world and say, what am I going to do for a living when I was in high school, I wasn't the best artist in the class. 
I, there is always someone better than me in my classes. There's always that one one person in my in every art class I've ever had, that one person that shines so bright above the others, above me. And I started thinking I wasn't an artist either because that was that I can't work I can't I I'm not able to draw as well as that person or paint as well or their photos are better or I don't understand the chemistry behind all this developing stuff and it's getting complicated and expensive and all those things definitely happen to me. So unfortunately for about fifteen years I didn't do my art as a living. I binged Arted. I, how do I say it? I, I would create paintings and photos, and I'd go back to a job I didn't like because mm-hmm. I didn't believe that art was an option for me, and it certainly wasn't an option for my family. My family were business um, people. You know, my father was an engineer. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. But they, the arts were taught for me to be a desirable wife, <laughs> to be interested. <laughs> That's what they thought that they were doing for me, that, oh, she'll be cultured and interesting because she's learning the arts. But it was it was absolutely forbidden to do that for work. And when I was growing up in, in, a, in the 70s and 80s, there, wasn't, there weren't a lot of options for female artists, especially photographers. I mean, all the photographers were men. And um, it really felt distant, but... When I I got into um, I don't know how to say how do I say it? I didn't discover that I was a, I didn't really connect with the fact that I'm an artist until I quit smoking in 1997. I was a smoker and a hardcore partier. Obviously, I wasn't doing my art, so I you know you do things to keep you that the 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 road gets cloudy, the vision gets cloudy. But I kind of cleared my path in '97, and it came to me. I was taking a class. I've been photographing for people, never getting paid, but um, photographing always had little jobs here and there, painting. I sold paintings from time to time and photos from time to time. But I was working as someone's assistant, executive assistant, or some kind of travel agent. I was. I, I can't tell you how many jobs I tried. At 33, it came to me in the darkroom that I need to do the photography professionally. And everything in my life had led me up to that. The army had led me up to uh, every, every when I do big photography projects. I mean, I'll, I'll, I've you know I've done large uh, insurance company projects where we have a four day shoot. I have a crew of fifteen. I have forty five uh, different actors. I have to shoot over a period of uh, you know four days. You really have to run it. It really is run like a military operation. You. You go, you, you 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 find your troops, you you set up, you make sure they're fed. It's just it, you know, so the, the military taught me order and creating in the field because I was combat telecommunications. So I learned how to set communication systems up in the field in the middle of nowhere, and that's what photography is. How do I how do I operate without any electricity? Well, I have to use battery powered lights. I mean, so there's a lot of um, technical stuff, so I went back to school, started studying photography and learning, and I was terrified because this is, there's a really big difference between holding your camera and taking that pretty picture once in a while than shooting on demand and having people, uh, they're paying you good money, so you better show up and you better get that photo, you know, you better capture their vision 
otherwise you won't be able to have a business doing what you love. So I studied and studied and and just kept shooting and shooting and working and developed a portfolio and really found that portrait portraiture was my thing and commercial photography was my thing. I love people and I love um, creating beautiful photos of people. You know, I, I love uh, producing the shoot too. Wow. It's funny, like, you know, I look back at some things in my life, too, and it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you, you're doing this one thing. You're like, how did, you know, I'm so far away from what I want to be doing right now. But then, you know, a couple years down the road, you realize that, oh, wow, you know, while I didn't like doing whatever I was doing there, it totally applies to what I'm doing now. And if it hadn't been for that thing, you know, how would I be showing up right now? It'd be a different space, you know. We'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. And we're back on the record. Talk a little bit about how when you were kind of, you know, in that moment of, you know, you're you're basically you're self-medicating because basically what that's what happens to us artist people. When we don't step into who we are and follow our dreams and like we kind of don't fit in in this world because we're like sort of this different breed of, of person. And so we start to self-medicate because we're not following our vision. What? What was that moment for you where you were just like, I know you said you were in the dark room, but like in your head, in your feelings, what was going on where it's like, I need to do this. Like, I don't have a choice. I need to do this. Well, going back to your, how an artist, how artists survive in this world, um, I've come to the conclusion that I'm a mad brain living in a PC world and all of my art (laughs) friends and the troubled kids that I've met, I was a troubled child as well. They were little Mac brains living in a PC world. We learned just a little bit differently. We're not better or worse. We just have a different way of seeing and learning, and usually we're very sensitive people. We have to learn how to deal with our sensitivity because our sensitivity, many of us are told you're too sensitive. Uh, oh my, you know, you can't be that sensitive, but that sensitivity is where we tap into the art, into the brilliance. So there's a lot of things that we're told that we have to, that we shed as we get into this knowing that, oh my gosh, I am an artist, this is what I have to do. And my defining moment was clearing my path of substances, uh, 
grass and um, alcohol and cigarettes and getting clear with my, uh, the only way, way to put it was my soul. And when I cleared the path, I could hear my soul speak. And my soul said, you're a photographer. You're a prof- it said, you're a professional photographer. And I just, I, I was, that's what it said. And, and when when you, when I got clear and clean, and I'm, I'm clean and sober today, and I got in touch with the higher part of myself that connects to in the world, that's where I create from. That's where the amazing ideas come from. And that's where that channel of creativity comes from. So I cleared, I cleared my path, and I was walking it, and there was no turning back. And I was terrified. But if you're, but I found that if I'm afraid, it means it matters to me. It means it's important. And I'm not talking about trembling fear. You know, the fear is different when I'm clean than it was. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not smoking away my life in a corner. I am. I'm, I'm in fear, but um, I'm, I guess the difference between a successful artist. There's so many artists. There's so many photographers that are more talented than I am. So many, so many better artists, so many people that could run circles around me. But the difference between a successful artist and an artist that fails is the successful artist just kept getting up after all the no's. Just kept, I just kept dusting myself off. And sometimes that gets really tiring, and um, you need a safe place to go. And I, um, I use Julia Cameron's Artist Way books. Mm-hmm. When I feel, um, and it's a, it's a you know twelve week program, and it just I'm always reaching and stretching. First, I, you have to reach and stretch. It's just part of the journey. And in that reaching and stretching, you get slapped around and it gets cold, and um, you have to find a place to warm up that artist. Because there really isn't any safety. The safety net's a big lie. Jump off a cliff, is, who knows what's going to be on the other end? But all you know is that you have to jump and you have to try. Got to walk through the nose and look for the yeses. My creativity is always, whenever I'm in action, that's when I find I'm in. I get random successes. It's I'm in action. I'm not. I'm not lying in bed with my head, you know, head under the covers, watching The Secret, praying for it. I'm out there freaking hitting the sidewalk, saying, "Look at my portfolio. This is what I do." You know, networking, meeting people—you um, got to really get out there and put yourself out there. Yeah, definitely. Networking's been very important. So, elaborate a little bit more on right. You, you're walking through your nose, and it, and it's it's you know it's disheartening and it's scary. And what besides reading the couple books you mentioned and stuff? Do you have any particular um, practices or exercises or or stuff that you do when you find yourself kind of go, maybe going down a rabbit hole of, you know, I'm not worthy. I mean, to go to an extreme, but to kind of get the point across of, you know, I start feeling like this, then I do this. And that puts me back on track because it takes something, you know, like it takes something to get yourself out of bed every day and face another. No, you know what I mean? Like you're saying most people will give up. So what, what's that, that inner thing that that has you be like you know even though everything's telling you no 
you're like, I'm doing this anyhow. Like, really get inside of that for me. Because I, I kind of I I, I kind of need that for myself, you know. <laughs> it's like well, I'm not I, worthy. Is the absolute. That's that's what we all hear. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. You are a piece of shit with eyeballs. They even have a little. What are they called? Emoji. They have an emoji that's a piece of shit with eyeballs. You, <laughs> I, I want to smile that. to whoever made it, and I want to also commend them for their brilliance because. It's like, you know, I'll hear, you're a piece of shit with eyeballs, Starla. You suck. And I'm like, wow, okay. I do suck. But what I do, Astrid, is I have a maintenance program that I do. I do yoga. I have a great yoga instructor who I don't do the – I do yoga. I journal on most mornings, and I do walks. So I have movement um, at least five times a week. I write almost every day, and I meditate, and those are, that's my maintenance. Those are my mm-hmm. three maintenance things that I always do, because if I don't write, if I don't do yoga, or I don't do a walk, my head will try to kill me. Mm-hmm. And so I need motion, and I need um, a conscious contact with a higher power, which is how I describe my what I believe in, you know, so I need to connect to that. And if I connect to that, uh, I'm worried, I'm more, I'm not worried anymore because I realize I'm on the path and then I, I have an action plan. In my morning pages, I come up with lists of things that I have to do and they are organized. So I do have lists. I have goals that I set. Um, I have I have a, a handwritten day planner Yes, I have a Google Calendar, but um, I also believe in pen to the paper. So I have, I, when I journal, I use my hand in a pretty book, and I also have a pretty day planner that I use, and I write my goals in there. Like I have some really scary goals in my day planner today that I have to do, and I have to find the courage to walk through the nose. I need to call modeling agencies, and they're the scariest people in the world for me to call because I have an idea for a new portfolio for um, a project that I want to do. And that means I have to call these agencies and uh, they terrify me. And I started doing it last week and uh, my hand trembled when I picked up the phone. But that's where the, the gold is in the phone. you got to pick up the phone and, and find out what's out there. And it's really fascinating how that works. So I have a maintenance program and it's for my, it's, it's my, I, and I, I try to do an artist state. I'm not good at those, um, but I do try to see something beautiful. Beauty heals my soul. I have a garden, uh, organic garden in my backyard. So garden, also I get my hands in the dirt. So, so there's, there's things I do. The earth, I'm a Virgo, so I love the earth. I love green. I love to eat healthy. I love to pick food from my garden. And I also um, cook for myself and my husband, and I'll freeze stuff. I'll have a two-hour or three-hour, you know, I'll make some kind of soup or something, or I'll have... There's ways to nurture the soul. So body, mind, and spirit is how I nurture my work. You know, I feed my body good food, and that means caring for it. You know, making yourself a meal... Making myself a meal, juicing, things like that, and for the next couple of days, or making so I don't starve myself 
there's there's so many things that we can do just to take care of ourselves, and I call those um, esteemable acts of the soul. And as we're doing esteemable acts of the soul, for me personally, I'm able to call those people and handle the no. Now, I'll, I'll, tell a, I'll tell an interesting story. I went um, and showed my portfolios last year, had a new portfolio, and I went to two places. The first woman said, she's in a magazine, she said, your work is boring. And I said, well, how do you, do you see any way I can improve it? What, what do you find boring? She said, I just don't like it. And I think what she was saying is, I don't like you, you're not my people, and I don't like your work. So I left that place, left that interview, thinking, God, man, oh, that was tough. And so I went to another one, and they couldn't get enough of me. They loved me, hired me for the job, and it was the biggest job I ever had. Hmm. So in the same day, I had two completely different reactions to the same book, exact same photos. So I was in action. And I'd like to go back and focus on the woman who thought I was boring. And that's the woman, unfortunately, I hear when I'm redoing my website or putting my photos together. I'll, mm. I'll hear, oh, boring. But I have to remember that I just have to do what, um, I have to pick the work that I love, that I feel best represents me, and move forward with that. And my people will find me because I'm going to go out, I look for them and they find me. Does that make sense at all? Does that help at all? Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's a great philosophy to live by because we do. We tend to focus on that um, that person who says the negative thing, you know. And then, like, for example, I have a song of mine that we released as a single a couple of years ago and um, did some follow-up on it to one of the radio stations we submitted it to. And the the music director was like, she doesn't have a lead singer's voice. Her voice isn't strong. And, and so now every time I heard that song, I'm like, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, I need to re-record that. I was, what was I thinking? Oh, my God, you know. <laughs> exactly. And, and it was like one of my favorite songs. And I'm like, no, like, I don't even like that song anymore. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes the critique that we get, because, you know, when you go to school, you put your work up and everybody critiques. And there is a constructive critique, and there are just shadow artists, people who wish they were doing what you're doing and just don't like you because you're doing it and they're not going to like your work. Yeah. So you got to look out for the shadow artists. And Julia Cameron talks about shadow artists. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everywhere. And, and they're nipping at your heels. They want to do what you're doing. They just don't believe mm-hmm. in themselves. And those are the ones that um, also can trip us up. Yeah, so you gotta, you have to do it. You know, you have a beautiful voice. Just your speaking you. voice um, is is wonderful. You know, I oh. I'm really tuned to voice. You know, people's voices, and I bet you can sing in the most unique way because you're singing with the voice that you're speaking with. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, it's funny because when I listen back to these interviews and edit them, I'm like, Wait, do I have a lisp? It sounds like I have a lisp. I don't know. Maybe it's the microphone, you know, and you're just like on hyper alert critique of yourself. <laughs> and then if you have a lisp, you get to work on You get to be with the lisp and say, hey, this is my thing. This is my niche. Or you can take take a speech coach. If it, you hire a speech coach if you're having if right. you're having. Yeah. 
Yeah. So how how did you so you're in high how did you get into the army? How did that all come about? The army was a way to get out of the life. I I was listen, I love my family. I love my mother. I love my father. I love my love them, but I was so not it's more clear now than ever. I feel like I was just dropped in that family by a stork. You know, I was a brilliant child. I mean, I am so such a liberal thinker, and and they're all beautifully conservative. So um, I had I didn't have any options because art wasn't an option, and I was an artist. I am an artist. I've always been an artist. Uh, after high school, all my friends went off to college. I tried the community college in a city I was just hating, where my parents lived, and I thought. You know, my dad said you should join the army. You are too wild. They're gonna tie. You know, I was I was wild, a wild child, <laughs> very wild. And I was actually off the rails by that time. I was I was I was unbridled. And I my dad my dad put the bug in my ear to join the army. And one day I went down to the recruiter, and I said, Hey, um, what what is this all about? And he's and, and um. It's funny because the recruiter had a crush on me. <laughs> really messed up. Of course, I never dated guys with short hair. I like surfers, you know, wild men. <laughs> I was a wild woman. So, still I'm a wild woman, though. And <laughs> I joined. He said, uh, there, there, here, here, take a test. Here's the jobs that you qualify for. Um, have you ever been camping? Or he goes, he said, do you like camping? I said, oh, yeah, I went to horse camp. <laughs> I was like a. I I never roughed it a day in my life. You know, I was very 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 blessed in the. In, you know, didn't rough it in uh, material ways, and I I never went to a rugged camp. And like my parents were city people; they weren't campers. We never went camping, but I I managed to get away for a couple summers to horse camp. I said I love camping, and so they put me in the infantry division. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. So I was like uh I was in infantry, one twenty fifth signal inch infantry and I and I chose that job because it was gonna take me to Hawaii eventually. Oh nice. Yeah. So I, I I joined the army and I went to boot camp in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri in the middle of winter where your nose hairs freeze at attention. And then I went to Georgia, Augusta, Georgia in the summer, the hottest place on the planet. <laughs> and I came home for hometown recruiting, which was a disaster. And then I flew to Hawaii, and I lived there for a year and a half and served army in Hawaii. And it was, a, you know, lived on Oahu on the North Shore, and was on my own. And that's where I picked up photography again. Um, mm. Started selling pictures for party money. I was taking pictures. <laughs> I was taking pictures of sunsets and and uh, painting because I I was a painter, but I couldn't paint from my head. So I thought I was a terrible painter because I couldn't paint from my head. Little did I know that great painters weren't painting from their heads. Yeah. But so I started using my my photos to take to paint again. So I was selling paintings over there, uh, sunset paintings and sunset photos to my GI buddies. And uh, you know, and we did field missions and went to Korea. We, you know, I did some world travel, which was great. Good. It was a good experience for me. Um, 
I was still a little wild for the, for the military, though. I got in a lot of trouble all the time. <laughs> I, I, I buffed a lot of floors because I just, I was just, you know what it was? I was just so, so such a wild, loose end. And I was just blown in the wind, hanging on by a song for many, many years. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I, I run into young people who were very much like me back then, and I tend to have a grounding effect on them because I know how to speak to them. It's like a feral cat or a or a wild horse, you know. You don't you don't try to throw the reins around it. You just let it know it's in a safe place. When it wants to come down, it's going to be okay. And yeah. Are they an artist? That's just, that might, that's what might be bothering them. Yeah. Yeah, I think we had the same parents, and we were probably sisters and didn't know it. Like we were yeah. dropped off by the by the same stork because, you know, my parents, both my whole family, all conservative, and um, I did get music from my mother's side, um, but my dad's, you know, engineer was in the military, works for Exxon, very, you know, completely left brain. Um, art is like, oh my God, why would you even want to do that? That's you know. I, you know, I heard so many times, oh, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than you do of becoming a rock star. And um like, oh, thanks exactly. for that support there. You know, that's that's great. So uh, so instead of talking me into the military, he talked me into going to college. And, you know, six months into that, I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> God. So, but oh. yeah, uh, crazily, I, I graduated, but I think it's because I switched over to the School of Music and, oh um, uh. you know, worked on uh, getting a music business degree and, and minoring in music and stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, it was like, when I was there, all I did was party and, you know, screw around and, you know, it was basically like paid to be a student. I'm like, Oh, this is my job. I'm a student now, you know, <laughs> I'm a partying student. <laughs> uh, and I would, I would tell my, my, uh, like my music theory teacher, first of all, you had to be there at seven in the morning. Like, I don't know what musician on the planet shows up at seven in the morning, but you know, I'm there at like seven in the morning and, and they're like discussing how, Oh, look, look how interesting it is how Beethoven broke the rule over here. And so I would raise my hand and be like, well, if Beethoven broke the rule and it's okay, and he's like this great guy, like, why do I even need to learn the rule in the first place? Like, why am I here? And they would just look at me like, oh, my God, we don't even know what to do with her. <laughs> Let's hope we don't have her next semester. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. You speak, yeah. speak music. Music is a language. Yeah. I've watched um, my husband mix a movie with a conductor. And I watch them speak that language together, and it's magical. I don't speak music. I love music, but I don't speak it, and I think that is an incredible skill. So that's an incredible skill that you have. It's it's also a technical language. Yeah. Which, like which I don't I don't have quite grasp on that side of it. <laughs> I'm more of a. Grasp. I have a good ear. Engineer. My father's an engineer. I have a grasp. I don't. I, I have a feminine grasp on the technical side of photography. It's mm. visceral, but I also have a knowledge, and which is very different than the way a man approaches it. So maybe yeah. you music and the the technical side of that in a feminine way, from the feminine side, which is yet another 
breakthrough in the arts, right? All the, the so many conductors are men. Mm-hmm. Right. So many directors. So many. So we're actually pioneers. We're 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 breaking through. We're yeah. With women breaking through and and claiming our equality in the arts by just being and doing what we need to do. Yeah, wow, and that's a great insight. Like I've never even thought of it like from that angle or anything. That's awesome. Thank you for that. It's hard to find role models. Uh, it, 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 there are more role models now for for women, but we do we do approach um, technical. We approach the art uh, from a, more of a feminine side. And it's not right or wrong. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just another way of seeing and being and hearing and and participating. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back on the record. Speaking of role models and such, did you have any mentors while you were growing up? I had, I had, I had a, I had wonderful grandparents who loved me unconditionally, and that was a role model because that 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 modeled love for me, which is where my work comes from, as I see it now. It also Help me with people skills and relationship skills, which is very important in work uh, and life. Um, I had a wonderful mentor, painter, teacher, Charles St. Clair. Uh, he was a beautiful painter. He's the one who used to paint with me every Saturday uh, from the age of 12 to 16. I painted with him almost every Saturday. Then, as in my photography career, I had... Um, a model who is uh, basically still mentors me today. She modeled for 30 years. She was very successful. Her name is Natalie Terrell. She introduced me to my photographer mentor, Harry Langdon. Who's a very he was one of the original celebrity photographers in the 80s, and he modeled his uh, work after Scarullo, who photographed all the Cosmopolitan covers. And also Harrell, who was who um, was famous for his black and white Hollywood portraiture for the studios. 
And I met Harry through Natalie, and I started working in his studio in 2000 when I moved to Los Angeles. And I worked and ran his studio for him for four years. And through him, I learned how to navigate the celebrity market, the public relations firms, uh, celebrities, but, um, how important makeup was and hair, how important styling was in the photo shoot, what actually truly went into a photo shoot, high-end luxury shoot or a high-end commercial shoot or a, a celebrity who wanted to up-level or a, a movie campaign, magazine shoots. <clears throat> I learned all of that from Harry Langdon. Just how to navigate that world. And i that's something you never could have learned in school. Yeah, I was going to ask you about because I've watched some of your videos and stuff. And you have a whole team when you do a shoot. I mean, there's the stylist person there, the makeup person, and... Like I, I was even kind of getting a kick out of you had the person with the with the blower to get that wind blown look going on and stuff, and so you learned how to do all that through him. I learned how to do that through Harry, um, uh, but what I brought to Harry, what I brought to, what happened was I, well, I, I had moved to Los Angeles, and I had I had started my business in 1999 <clears throat> in Atlanta, Georgia. And when you work in it, I was just there randomly for a year, and um, I was working there. And in, in, when I, in Atlanta, Georgia, 99, you could pretty much kick the doors down and get work there. There weren't a lot of ambitious photographers running around, so I did really well there really quickly. Then I moved to Los Angeles because I felt like it was time to move to Los Angeles and, you know, really... Uh, up-level my, my photography career, and I, ha- I hit a creative block. It was I, I was shocking. I couldn't even print pictures out of my computer. And I mm. called a friend who has been working as a photographer for the, for the Gap in San Francisco for about five years at the time, and he said, get a job assisting. I went to the same thing. If you just hit a block, just get a job assisting. So... I talked to my friend Natalie, and she said, why don't you work um, for Harry? I used to shoot for Harry. I didn't know who Harry Langdon was, but I looked up his work. It was just, I had a website, but he didn't. So I had a website in 95, and older people didn't have websites. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't look his work up. You know, it, it wasn't on Google wasn't happening like it is now. You couldn't Google him. You had to... He wasn't. He was printed in magazines, but he was really big in the '80s. He photographed Cher for 25 years. He did Diana Ross's PR photos. Her very first. Their their relationship lasted for 25 years, and all the Hollywood beauties used to come to him because he mastered beauty light. Hmm. And aging beauties came to him because he mastered beauty light for them. So. I went to him, and, and I opened my portfolio, and I walked into his studio. First of all, he turned me down three times for an interview. And at the, the fourth time, I, I was driving in from Malibu every day to Beverly Hills for this interview. You can imagine, I had my portfolio. I had, you know, it would take me an hour to drive the car from Malibu <laughs> to 
Beverly Hills, and it was just this crazy thing. And he'd cancel like halfway there. I'd call to check in to see if our interview was open, you know, still going. He said, Oh, no, Starla, something's come up. So I, <laughs> it was, I parked outside his studio. This sounds crazy. I parked outside his studio, and I called him up. I said, Harry, I'm on my way. Is our interview still on? And he's sitting at his desk. There's nobody there. It's like 9 in the morning. And he said, oh, Star, you know, something something came up today. I said, Harry? <laughs> I don't know. And I, I said, let me, here's this. I said, would you, I said, give me two minutes of your time, and I will never call you again. And he started laughing. He was okay. So he caught up, and I because the studio was glass. It was in the corner of Crescent uh, Crescent uh, Drive and Wilshire Boulevard. It's like the Beverly Hills Gateway. So you can it's all glass, a glass corner. It's a bank now, sadly. But he, he gets he, he goes across the floor, opens the door, and he you know I'm in my suit and my book, and I'm come on in. And I looked over at his cameras, and I said, Oh, you shoot with a hot supply and an icon. He said, Yes. I said, Oh, so do I. And I looked at his film, and he shot with the Porsche 160 and the Ilford 50, and I thought, Harry, I shoot with that. that those are my film brands. I use that for black and white. I use that for color. And we started, you know, rapping about film because film is a palette. There's so many different mm-hmm. film. Um, there's so many different types of film. There's grainy to fine, fine, just tuned, beautiful, crisp film, and there's everything in between. And I understood that because. I, I, I understood my film palette, and he liked that. And then I opened my portfolio, and he said to me, How did you do that? I said, that's Photoshop, Harry. Do you know anything about computers? And I said, yes, I was an ex- executive assistant, and I, know I can run your office, no problem. He said, it's very interesting how you come by today because my assistant, an actress, well, she could care less about this job. And she can't, she just calls in for an audition and says she can't come in, so she's not reliable. He said, what would you charge an hour to come in and start work? I told him that I would charge, and he says, you're hired. So that was the beginning, and I knew that something had happened in that moment, something great. And what he had was lighting, and he was retouching on the negatives. Oh, it, wow. Yeah, it was just incredible what he was doing. And I was in awe of him. And he was in awe of what I, I could do, which to me was just nothing. Uh, so I was such a beginner compared to him that if I had anything to give to him, it would be amazing for me. And I went into that relationship doing service. I, I, I had a very... A, a lot of people will go into these a relationship and have a lot of expectations of the person that they're working for and my whole job was to be of service and to have no needs. I know that sounds um, not very millennial, but that was how I succeeded with him for four years, is I had no needs. He didn't need to know my personal life. He didn't need to know if I was in pain. He didn't need to know I was going through divorce. He didn't need to know any of that. All he needed to know that I was on time, I showed up, and I was completely present for my work. And that's how I learned what I learned, what I know today. And then I took what he taught me, and I had my own way of doing it. And there were some of the things I didn't like the way he worked, and I felt that that's a great 
tool for me to see how I want to run my own business. So I treat everyone the same. I don't I don't have a star treatment. Everyone is a star when they come to see me because I saw people treated differently and I saw how it affected their psyche. And I'm talking young, old, it, it, it doesn't matter who someone is. I'm going to treat them with ultimate respect in front of my lens. And then after, there's going to be a follow-up. And I notice that a lot of artists feel that they're not a service business. And photography it, it, it is a very much a service business. It's, it's, it's difficult because I have to be a business person, and any artist in business knows this, and you're the same, Astrum. Mm-hmm. So you, you, have your, you have your radio time, which is fun. You get to do your sing and interview, and then you have your singing time. But then that's, that's maybe a third, and then you have, you, have to, you have to hustle up the work, mm-hmm. and then you have business. So that's another, another two-thirds. So even though I'm living an artist's life, the reality is I have responsibilities. So I have a third, you know, I've got to hustle up the business, run my business, and then do the art So for my clients. So I yeah. try to do a little something for myself, too. So I have these, try to get these side projects going that I invest so that nobody can tell me what to do and that it's just for me. So I have more to give when I go back out there because this is a very giving job. Yeah, so I learned, I learned so much from Harry, and I learned, I learned beauty lighting. And I learned about lighting a face even more so and finding the beauty in every face. Um, I already saw the beauty in every face, but I wasn't sure how to capture it. Sometimes I would be stumped. But Harry, oh, we, oh, he was MacGyver. He is. He's still with us. But he was MacGyver with lighting. There, there, He'd use foil. He taught me how to use foil. If I needed to use a toilet seat cover, whatever it took to shade or or brighten the light on someone's skin hmm. and have the light look like it's shining from the skin, not on the skin. That's really the key. You want the light to... You really want to capture the light in the person. You and I Also, through yoga, I learned how to keep people present. Photographed by me, I, I coach them, and I have them breathe, and that is one tip I want to definitely send people away with today, you as well. Whenever you're having your photo taken, the most important thing you can do to connect with your audience that you're trying to reach, because everyone's looking for their people, that's why we use photography, is breathe. second tip I would say is remember... Just focus on the people who think you're fabulous because the others are never going to hire us. They're never going to be interested in our radio station, our show, our portfolio. They're going to think we're boring or whatever they're going to think. Those aren't our people. we got to focus on the people who think we're fabulous, who, who can't wait to meet us. They just haven't met us yet. And that photo is going to connect us to our people, to the right people. So breathe and focus on the people who think you're fabulous. And the last tip I would say, if you could send your message out there as your present, one message I have my people say is, I can't wait to work with you. I can't 
wait to meet you. And if you can say that into the camera lens while you're having your photo taken, if you can think that, people people are going to feel that. They're going to feel they're going to feel your presence because a successful portrait headshot these days is not a stagnant um you know not connecting with the people kind of photo the photos that are successful now they feel interactive they feel people feel as though they're in a conversation with you or you're listening and on my 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 headshot that I I took recently with myself <laughs> I I I I do them I do my own headshots it's I wanted people to feel like I could listen and I could see them and they're, they will be seen by me They're in the most beautiful light. Wow, that's amazing. And and I like what you said about wanting to bring the light in the person out, you know, because we are all basically light beings, you know. So being able to capture that, I think that's what I admire most about professional photographers is that ability to really make that picture pop and 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 knowing how to really bring that out and then breathing like i forget to breathe all the time like i'll find myself being like oh wait i need to breathe i haven't breathed in a while you know it's like uh and that's what that's what keeps us alive you know is breathing so Right. That's the difference between life and death. It's the breath. That's yeah. It. And the soul that... Uh, it, it's actually pretty mysterious, our breathing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mystical. So that's what you really... And, and a, a good photographer, number one, is you need, you, know, you need to breathe, you need to connect. But you also need to connect to the photographer that you're photographing. If, if, you're, being, if you're intimidated by the photographer, you don't feel heard... You're not going to be seen in front of the camera. And you definitely want to make sure that a photographer's got a strong portfolio. Uh, and something that you really like that you could see yourself folding into. Um, and th- I think the worst thing you could do to a photographer is to bring a photo that someone else did of someone and say, I want, I want to do this. Uh, you, can t- you can do that as an idea, but you don't want to... Th- another photographer can't copy another photographer because mm-hmm. it's we all have our unique way of seeing so it's not going to turn out like you want it to because that photographer doesn't see the studio could be different the lighting can be different the, just the seeing the cameras the lenses that they choose everything there's so many there's so many ways a photographer sees and there's so many choices that we can use so whoever you choose to do your photos Make sure they see you, and make sure if you're the kind of person who needs coaching, you know everybody needs directing. If you didn't have a director on a movie set, the greatest actors wouldn't know what to do. I have photographed some of the greatest actors in the business, and they all take direction, and they mm-hmm. all, all need to be reminded to breathe. Every single solitary person I have ever photographed, doesn't matter if they're A-list to an entrepreneur just starting out in the industry. Of, of their choice, everybody needs to be reminded to breathe and to connect. Yeah. No one wants to, The only people who don't have to connect, I would say, are models shooting uh, clothes, fashion, because mm. of the clothes, so they don't want to upstage the clothes. 
Mm-hmm. They can be aloof. But they're the only ones who really, I can think of, that are have the ability to be aloof unless you're doing a, a celebrity portrait for an editorial piece or something. But other than that, we all need to connect because we're all looking for our people. Hmm. Wow. Um, this has been an absolutely fabulous interview, and we're nearing the end. And what I usually like to do, and I don't even know if you can expound upon it. I'm I'm sure you can, and it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, some final words of wisdom you would like to share with us. Words of wisdom. Well, I thank you for believing I have wisdom. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> but, um, I would say to all the artists out there, I would say to the troubled teens and children, if you're feeling edgy, if you're feeling like you don't fit in, you're probably an artist. And if you're having an inkling to do something, just get down and do it and allow yourself in the beginning to be awful at it because we all need to master. Nobody came out painting. Nobody came out photographing of the womb. We all had to start somewhere. And we really need 10,000 hours of mastery, 10,000 hours of practice to master something, uh, our craft. And every craft has a palette. You have your music notes and your sheets, and and there's so many things. You have your voice, the different octaves that you can hit. Um, There's just so much. The the music choices and to learn about the genres. There's such a big difference. Um, And if you you draw stick figures, that's okay. We all have to start out with stick figures. So give yourself permission to fail before you can be truly great and I think that's what I would say. Give yourself permission to begin. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week. <laughs>